Good afternoon. Um, I'm Libby Purvis, and this, as you know, is Helen McCrory. And here we are in this, this wonderfully evocative set. Does it feel like home to you now, after the run? No, <laughs> I, I'm happy to say it doesn't feel like home. <laughs> I think if it did feel like home, um, I, I shouldn't be here this afternoon. Um, but it, uh, it is lovely to return to. We're three two-thirds, maybe three-quarters of the way through the run. Mm. So, um, but you mean to the, to yes. the national? Yeah, I think this is something yes. like my eighth show. Well, the national, I obviously, that, that, that's home, yes. Yeah. Now, I was thinking, I was thinking just for the moment, before we talk about the, the role, is, is this set, I was very struck with it. I think quite a lot of people here have, have may have seen the play already. Um, because you see other figures moving around sometimes in the upper rooms or on the landing, just with the corner of your eye, and it really feels that Hester is alone in it. Is, is that something you've been able to see at all when you've been watching understudy runs and things? I think even though, um, yes, when, when you come to see the understudy run, the, the, you, we sit and we watch, and you could tell the lights were going on and off, but the problem is, is because it's usually the understudies that are doing the walking or the movement, I just have to assume or imagine what was happening <laughs> in there. I hope they're not doing that through that speech. Um, <laughs> Oh, it's, no, it's not at all obtrusive, it's not at all I know, Libby yes. keeps now refer yes, yeah. consoling me about this. Yeah. Um, but what's wonderful is that Carrie's also given a lot of um, sound cues. So even though I can't see them, I can actually hear people and you can hear all the footsteps on the stairs. And this is this wonderful thing about such a beautifully crafted play by Terence Rattigan, that although all these people are around her, although all those people can hear her, although she knows all these people can hear her, one woman leaves her alone, another man gives her the coin, another yes. man, and you know, everybody yes. is part of it, just as we, you know, yeah. I suppose it's talking about social responsibility. The, it's a play, I've been talking to a lot of people about their first encounters with this play, The Deep Blue Sea, and many, including me, report it as, as a shock. It's a bit of a life changer. It is one of those plays, isn't it, which sort of hits you very hard. Well, was that your first experience of it before you, before you were playing in it? Uh, well, I'd never seen the play. Oh. I'd never um, read the play. I knew it was supposed to have a lovely part of Hester, <laughs> but um, that's all I knew. And uh, I remember working with Harold Pinter years ago, doing Old Times, and uh, saying to him, what, what, you know, what, what are your favourite writers? And I thought, oh, he's going to say UNESCO, he's going to say da-da-da. And he said, uh, Rattigan. And I went, really? Deep Blue Sea, most wonderfully crafted play. And I remember thinking when I first read it, ah, this is why Harold loves it. Not only is it so beautifully crafted, which he had the ability to do, but the simplicity um, and um, scarceness of his language is, is mm. perfect. So no, when I first read it, I just thought I had no idea that Deep Blue Sea was a thriller that I didn't know when I was turning the pages what was going to happen next. Yeah. Um, which hopefully as an actor, all your job is you try not to get in the way of the writer and let the audience have the same experience without mushing it up too badly. It's the, it's the intensity of it, I think, maybe particularly for women. It has been mainly women I've been talking to about it because it's, it's not just a chronicle of a, a passion, which is universal. And of course, we all know that the, the background that Rattigan uh, had this affair with Kenny Morgan and Kenny Morgan went off and Kenny Morgan did kill himself. Um, but it's also, it's a development of female independence, of sort of emotional self-defining. Hester has got to work out 
how to be just herself, this extraordinary moment where she suddenly makes it so clear that she's not going back to dear old Bill, you know, safe, you know, delightful, sort of charming, loving Bill, and she's not going backwards. I mean, that's, that's a real sort of feminist moment, that, isn't it? Well, I think what's interesting is that he wrote it before Germaine Greer. He wrote <laughs> it before the L-shaped room. He wrote it before all these women had developed this voice, before this whole movement had really started. I mean, that wasn't at this time. That This is just the few years before that. And so I don't think that she has, Hester has read, I mean, she hasn't read those books. She doesn't yeah. have that, you know, she's not a Oxford first with all the sort of the chattering classes around her. I mean, she's by herself. And... Um, so I think that her voice is much more muffled and confused and she's learning for the first time how to express herself. Uh, as you refer to in that scene with um, Rattigan referred to her as a woman who no one ever needed except, out, uh, uh, except inside a bedroom. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it does examine women's roles within the 50s at that time but I think more so it examines what it's like when you place your hope of happiness in others. This was, you know, we know it was set just after the war. We know that the audience that would have watched it in 1952 would be so aware of why you died, mm. the First and Second World War, and when you took that bullet, whether you did it for your country, whether you did it for your God, your daughter, your mother, your son, whatever that moment was, they were all so close to that. And so when a when a woman actually is standing on stage saying, I want to kill myself, you do understand that that must have been very hard for that class and those people to understand who had come through, you know, the Freddies that had survived all those battles. So I do agree that it is very much a female uh, role, even though apparently it was written by a man. I'd also say, uh, for a man, um, I'd also say that it is v very much also of its period and also about a woman who's trying to find her um, herself, and she's thought she'd find it through others. Well, it seemed to me, and one, that one of the things which resonates a lot, and we may get comments on this from the audience, is, uh, is that it's about a very, I suppose it, it, sometimes it's a male thing, but it's quite often a female thing, of being trapped. You're trapped in your life, you're trapped in your unhappy marriage, you're trapped in whatever it is, and you confuse another person with the root out of that trap. I mean, the sexual obsession, the absolute passionate, desperate obsession that Hester has, she thinks he's the only way. She thinks that, that her lover is the only way, doesn't she? Yeah, which you do feel. Don't you? <laughs> I mean, that's what, yeah, she'd die for him. She'd die for Freddie. She would. She tries to die for Freddie. Um, she fails. How did you feel when you first start reading the part and thinking about the part, thinking of the director, um, about that absolute dereliction of dignity? She wants him more than sense and reason and dignity. And early on, your Hester has got a great deal of dignity in these sort of rather social, s socially graceful scenes with people who come in, oh, I'm so sorry, you know. You know, she's, she's a very, mm. she's a well-brought-up girl. And then there's this terrifying dereliction of everything, all dignity gone. You're just practically, I mean, cleaning his shoes is a lovely touch, but, but you'd be licking them. Uh, was that hard to find in yourself? No, because I think that that's, I think that that's, I think that what she understands is part of the truth of life and love is yielding 
to someone to, to she just unfortunately chooses somebody who doesn't want to yield back, and that's where the dignity is lost. But I think it's the sense of shame, and I think that when something is um, uh, raw as being discovered with a failed suicide attempt, I think there is terrible shame in that. I don't, you know, that, that would be experienced by a man or a woman at, at any time, and particularly when you're so kind. I think she's crippled with kindness. I think she's so scared of hurting others. Even at the moment is when Bill is standing there and she's about to leave him, she said, do you, do you think I want to hurt you above all people? Because she is kind. Mm. But she's a really but she's nice, desperately she's a unhappy. nice girl, but she is a desperately in the grip of this, of this, this obsession. I mean, yeah. I, uh, when I first, the first time I saw it, I, I had actually seen the film long ago. But when I first saw it on the stage, Lee, Vivian yes, Lee, yeah. yes when I first saw it on stage, which always has, always has more power because you're there breathing the same air with the people. And I was with a friend, a male friend, not, not a boyfriend at all, you know, just sort of platonic male, male friend. And um, I didn't know much about his history, he's a bit younger than me. And I just said in the interview, I said, oh my God, I was that woman. I've been that pleading girl, I've been her. And he said, oh, I've been that man turning her down and I got a lot of his backstory from that one yeah <laughs> that one line and he got a lot of mine and well we you, yeah th there are the pleaders and there are the there are out there in the audience each night there will also be Freddies and I think I've been both and I think most <laughs> of us have which is why the play's interesting he doesn't just you know the goody and the baddie but um uh I I I mean I I definitely know <laughs> I have been a hess, um, and I hope he never knows where I am now. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, we've all you have your heart broken, don't you? It's I good. It humbles you. It makes us nicer people. And we break other people's hearts by just not being able to love them back as much. It's terrible. It's awful. But then Freddie's not a bastard. He's a man who's crippled. Mm. By but, but then some of us, of course, I mean, we feel like Mr. or Dr. Miller, you know, I fear I do not have the gift of inspiring suicidal love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we felt that we felt. Yeah. Yes, but um, yeah, he's a wonderful character, yes. isn't he? I love yes. his just get up in the morning and yes. do it. Just get on. Sometimes mm. life, you will have no purpose. You are unloved. I will mm. not lie to you. You are unloved and you have no purpose and you do not know why you're here. Because but just get on because tomorrow you will find it because it is secular. And that's mm. the wonderful thing about age. This is part of that post-war wisdom, isn't it? That you have these fantastically disrupted people, sometimes damaged people, sometimes very many, many bereaved people back in the end of the 40s and, and the 50s. But you also have people who, who have learnt to survive whatever happens, to, who will move on, whatever happens. And you look at some of our, our sort of s the soppiness in some of our generation now, and you look back at my parents' generation and uh, you know, possibly parents' generation too, and you sort of think, gosh, they were tough. Gosh, they had to be tough. And I mean, yeah. I think that's one of the things which, which comes out of this play, you know, that, yes, Freddie's had a bad, a bad deal. You know, those RAF pilots after the war often were very damaged. Everyone's had a bad deal. Everyone has bad deals, but you have to live on. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I know, I mean, repression gets a bad name, you know, it really does. But you just think, well, for a lot of people, what was the alternative? I mean, there wasn't an alternative. If they didn't repress it, they would unravel. 
It's just one always remembers the wonderful Victoria Wood line, you know, we went, didn't go having hysterectomies in those days, you know, if something went wrong down below, we shut our gobs and turned up the wireless. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, exactly. I can never resist that line. Yeah, exactly. But it is, it is a time and of its period, and I, I always feel ratty. Yeah, and we're got grandchildren of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely have that part in me. I definitely have that part in me in finding... N not, not, you know, uh, uh, um, people who are in trouble, of course, you have enormous empathy to, but what I'm saying is within yourself, I, mm. I, I, d I do not like navel-gazing. I do mm. not find it attractive in people mm. because, you know, in, unless you're really genuinely suffering. How did you feel about finding that suicidality in yourself, that, that, that real just desire to go? How do you, did you think about it? Did you talk to people? Did you read stuff? Or did you just dig around for it? Um, I never, personally, um, have never been there. But I have been close to people who have been there. As, so as have I. I have lost a son to it. But so one yeah. knows. There's a strange calmness about it, isn't there? Did, was that something you... There's a strange calmness about it. And I think also... I just think I have a sense of tremendous um, responsibility. Mm. The suicide note scene, the, the humiliation of that when he finds the note he's not meant to find, and then you have to go back to cleaning his shoes. Did you, did, and, and Miller later on speaks of respect, of having respect for yourself. Again, I mean, you give us a Hester who is tremendously, in every possible sense of the word, respectable. A, a good girl, a nice girl, a, a, nice, a nice woman, someone who tried to make the, the best of things, and yet absolutely abrogating all respect and cleaning his shoes and looking up at him. Yes, and that feeling of self-respect, isn't it? I mean, I'd happily clean Damien's shoes. I probably won't do it as well as Hess. <laughs> but, uh, but I'd be doing it in a different way. Mm. You know, you, you, you wouldn't be doing it as a, a subjugation of self. Um, and she just... I mean, I, 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 I don't find it difficult to empathise. I don't find it difficult to empathise with somebody who's taken out, shown Eaton Square, shown the glamour of wealth, shown the glamour of an Austin, a man who can buy a Rolls, a man who's a top barrister, and just feeling not belonging there and risking it all to, to fall in love with somebody that is living at a thousand miles an hour because he's just come back to the war, then he doesn't love it. I mean, you know, I, I, I would imagine that sense of shame. And the big, the big difference being, and this is what Miller talks about in her work, and we had different, um, I don't think my, I don't think my uh, painting's on, but we've been bashing back and forth in the play. Yes. They talk about a painting that she did when she was 17, and then you see her artwork now. And her artwork now, we discussed, Rattigan never comments whether it's supposed to be any good or any bad, but the fact is no one's buying it. Um, and that there's a difference in that original artwork. And I really wanted a piece that was just very mm. simple. You know when you go around a sixth form college or something, and there's one kid's painting, and mm. you look at it, and even though it's a still life of, you know, uh, daffodil in vase, you look at it and you go, mm. he or she, She's an artist. She may not do it, but by nature, that's what that person is. And that when she starts to try and do other paintings and she starts to try and become impressionist and follow somebody else and be mm. something she's not, she fails. Mm. Because as an artist, of course, you must mm. always only use yourself. You can't use anybody else. 
So trying to find, she not only finds it in Collier, she not only finds it in Freddie, but she also cannot find purpose in her art because she's not being true to herself as an artist, which is why she says, I, there's no escape for me through that. And I read it as an actress and thought, she's not yeah. she can't be doing it properly because somebody who's an artist would not say that it is one of the brilliant things about Rattigan is that he uh, th th there's always a tremendous clarity and a, and a beautiful structure to a play but that he he will drop in without making a big deal of it beautiful little bits of backstory that we know from tiny bits of lines she was a vicar's daughter in Oxford married the first man who asked her was not really a catch as it's made quite clear it was a bit of King Cofetua complex but then we also get the fact that in those exchanges uh, with her husband there's glimpses of a friendly sociable marriage when they start just mentioning in passing mutual friends and a social life and suddenly you've got a whole life there mm. and it's all been done for you without in, in a few lines without people kind of and telling you as a worse playwright what it's magic isn't it it's fantastic and it's interesting working having worked with carry on medea when ben power had um done an in, uh, a new realization of the script and we had music and we had chorus and a, a lot a cacophony of different influences actually to to reapproach with this um just doing a play that you were just trying to 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 bring it to life and not add, you know, don't put mm. butter on bacon, as the Icelandic say, you know, <laughs> just get out of its way and let play it as clearly and cleanly as possible, because mm. it's so, as you say, beautifully, beautifully structured. And her brittle politeness as well, I mean, that's something, I even in the turmoil, I, I love the bits at the beginning with Mrs. E and the Welchers and so on. Yeah. And, and <laughs> she's terrific for the, the hostess. <laughs> you know, you, you, you just, that whole upbringing just sort of comes to you. Of course, yeah. I mean, I, I was, I'm a diplomatic brat, so I was brought oh, up so all over I. the I world. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I saw it from Bangkok. <laughs> Um, and we brought on our CVs in case we couldn't remember who we were halfway <laughs> through it. <coughs> I might play you in a minute, but swap. <laughs> and um, and uh, so, yeah, I remember meeting, I mean, just eccentrics in the foreign office, like on a Friday when they'd all put on all the medals, you know, and be answering the phone with all the fezzes and stuff like this, and, you know, all the junior guy and the woman bringing around the tea. I remember, you know, the ambassador's wife, and, hey, hello, come in, oh, don't worry him, he's on heroin, you know, it's all sort of <laughs> mad, mad worlds, you know, learning to ride in Sunny Horse Ranch with Major Sparrow. We all learnt to ride, like, you know, you, like you do in, um, uh, you know, opposite uh, the palace, what's it called? You know, horse guards. Yes. And, you know, you, you mount them all facing the flag. I mean, we all taught, like, the age of six, so that's the only way I can mount a horse now, sort of, you know, <laughs> practically that. I mean, all these sort of eccentrics. And you get sort of hand around canopies and, and, and just be polite, whatever's happening. It's like that, that yes. famous anecdotal thing. With oh, the with bullet got him. <laughs> you can have her gin and tonic, <laughs> darling. Mandy's down, yes. <laughs> But it's like the, uh, the famous uh, anecdotal thing with John Julius Norwich, which I have actually experienced if you accidentally ring him up at two in the morning because you're trying to ring someone in America or something. And the response you'll get is, Olivia, what fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how nice of you to call. Yes, exactly. Like the diplomatic thing. And, and yeah. she's got that. And I mean, that's the beauty of your performance in that you give us so much of that. And, and she's still disintegrating. You know, she, she's yeah. disintegrating around Freddie, disintegrating her whole life, falling to pieces. Um, what I did appreciate very much this time was that Hester obviously holds the emotional core of the play. It's about her, you know, and there's that mysterious 
post-war mystery man echo um, from Miller and so on, but that Hester also holds the comedy of the play. I mean, there are some deadpan, brilliant lines, aren't there? There are. Um, I mean, you don't expect to laugh when your your soul is being wrenched in memories of all the times you've played with men. I just can't <laughs> resist it, though. That's my problem. Yeah. It, from that from that world, I just I just can't because I, it just makes me laugh, even these awful, terrible moments. Because we've all been in them, and um, this kind of I find her funny. I think I think just because you're that at that stage, it's that gallows humour. Mm. But it is, it is the, I mean, it's, it's all there, isn't it? It's not something you're picking up at all gratuitously. Good. He's, yeah, I'm not milking no. that <laughs> bit. But there are, I mean, I'm, ju I'm just trying to, I'm, I can't, I should quote one, really. I, I, I'm just trying to catch a moment. There, there are just these moments when, when suddenly she's, she sort of just gives a look or yeah, yeah. something. And, and the absurdity of the situation of being a woman with two, you know, with one man pleading to take her off to a comfortable life and another man completely rubbishing her and yeah. putting her down. Um, it's um, it's interesting, isn't it? That can I also, sorry, so just to add on the end of that, that I also think it's what you're going, what you were saying before about Rattigan. Sorry, of what you were for, sort of saying before about Rattigan, the well-crafted play, is that something that is so unpalatable and terrible mm. to watch becomes mm. more palatable with those laughs. Mm. I mean, he was there. He still was came from a theatre that you entertained, mm. you know, um, which I like. I yes, like abs that absolutely. Because quite often you get, you, you sometimes get a sense in some very earnest and often just starting out modern playwrights, and you know, here's a bit of grim. You've mm. really got to face a bit of grim, and there it is. And mm. when it's really good, then then you get these terrible flashes of black, dark laughter yeah. <laughs> coming through it. Um, this this happens. I have to say also down at the um, at the Young Vic, where where Billy Piper has been playing Yerma. You know, this woman yeah. who's completely falling to pieces, and yet once or twice you give a terrible snort of laughter and think, it's terrible, why am I laughing at this woman? <laughs> She's falling to bits. Um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? That there's, we seem to have had a series um, of gay men, uh, Coward, Rattigan, Tennessee Williams, Alan Bennett, writing fantastic parts for women. That maybe it's something to do with in the past, the, the, the repression of gay men, the sense of secrecy, the sense of being second class. But there, there's a whole sort of set, aren't there, of marvellous women's parts written by yes, gay men. Yes, within, um, who knew? Theatre apparently has a lot of gay people in it. Mm. <laughs> um, yes, I mean, yes, I, I agree. It must be from, I mean, I think that would help. I, I, I would always argue that actually your experience gender, everything is kind of irrelevant to an artist, if they're good enough, mm. that they will be able to write or empathise, hopefully, anything. But if you are establishment, if you are because you're a man and because you're a sort of white man who's doing quite well and had a good education and so on, I think it's probably a bit harder to get under the skin of people who are not establishment, people who have been a bit Don't say that, Libby. Like it's a very depressing thought. Like no, women. I <laughs> no, I, I know. I mean, I think that Rattigan, as, as you said at the beginning, Rattigan's own experience with Kenneth mm. uh, is so clear from, from his writing mm. of this play and his sadness that he lost his lover and mm. his frustration and his shame um, uh, about how the world was treating his homosexuality, well, I mean, obviously by making it illegal, and his inability to be open about it, and his own sense of shame, therefore, about it. His mother was still asking him who he was going to marry, 
and, mm. and I don't think it was because she was a half-wit. I mean, I think mm. it was because he was a very, very good mm. liar. Um, yes, it's very, it, it is very clear. And, and maybe, as you say, the sense of identification when you don't feel that you're part of, of something allows you to empathize. Maybe it just, maybe you don't empathize more. Maybe you just write more lines for them because you're more interested in them. Mm. Yes, well, you think one thing's also the same time Tennessee Williams, you know, the, the, the dependency. You know, I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's that same feeling as well, that you're a woman and maybe you aren't going to be able to support yourself and maybe there has to be a man. And, and I think that, that sense of being down. Um, and yeah, that, that other. Yeah, and it, go <laughs> it goes along also quite nicely with um, Mrs. E's line uh, that nice is nicer than good. She yes. <laughs> she prefers yes. the nice people to the, the good ones. The good ones. people. Yeah. That's, well, that's biblical, really, isn't it? That's a good Samaritan. Yeah. Well. yeah. Um, can we discuss the fried egg, the ending? <laughs> uh, how many people here actually have, um, have seen this production? Oh, we see a lot have seen this production, so I think it's safe to discuss the, the fried egg. In, in many, in many um, productions, what happens is she goes over to the fire to light it or with and to switch it on and you do not know in that moment what her intention is going to be is she going to put a match to it or is she going to yeah so in Rattigan's, Rattigan's stage directions which are pretty com which are pretty mm. um we, we try to do them as much as possible mm. I, I will try and follow a stage direction as much as possible um I think it's stated uh, Hester Hester sobs quietly she opens, she, she brings the suitcase down from the top of the wardrobe cupboard, because obviously it wasn't designed for the Littleton originally, and places it on the floor. She starts to unpack, she goes to the gas fire, she turns it on and lights it, and she sits and unpack and still packs. And I sort of felt, you know, if we were doing this in the Dorfman, actually, and you were doing it, or the Almeida or somewhere, or Donmark, that you, that you had a small enough space that you as a member of the audience could feel the heat, could feel the sensation of warmth in a room, could you know smell the gas and you know the, the mm. as you do when it's been lit and everything, and realise that she was going to continue. I think that would have been brilliant, but I think the great and, and we this is all plugged in to do that. We were mm. going you know we were all playing with it up until the tech, and then we realised in the tech we had this, and that they'd done that as well, and. I just, we, we talked about it, and that just seemed, it was so far away, mm. you know, it's such a big old theatre, because you come into yeah. this squat and labrick grove and everything so looks all right to me, love. <laughs> it's bigger than my place, and it cost me <laughs> a lot more than it cost them. Um, so, so I didn't, you know, you wouldn't really feel that sensation mm. of going on, whether the idea of, we know that he doesn't, he hasn't been, you know, one of her lines is, have you eaten yet? Which mm. is obviously, he's still drunk. Mm. Yeah, I'll get myself something to eat later. And what you do, you know, when you're in that miserable state, we've all done it, and you're just not eating, and you're, mm. you know, smoking too much, or drinking too much, or too much coffee, or whatever it is, self-abuse. And um, I like to think of it as. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so that's the idea of being starving. We thought about the steak, and then we mm. thought, 
I mean, bless you, you sat for two hours. We can't now ask you for another 17 minutes as I do my <laughs> steak. Well done. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, somebody from health and safety, you can't even get a burger now that's pink in London, <laughs> so they'd never have let me do steak tartare. So it was an egg. And actually, it has lovely sort of symbolic qualities. Yes, because basically, if you're going to make yourself a fried egg sandwich, you're probably going to go on living. Yeah. You? It's <laughs> and it's exactly, exactly what Miller it's says. Yeah. You know, you just get up and you just yeah. sob and eat the uh, egg sandwich. It's all right. Yeah. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be, you know, come down from heaven. The reason from living. Do you ever think? I mean, this is, uh, do, do you ever wonder what Hester did next? Does that ever go through your mind when you're so identified with the character of an evening? Appallingly, no. Yeah. Is that awful? I don't know. I, I've, I've, I've no idea. I sometimes ask actors these things. They look at me as if I'm mad. Um, <laughs> But I, I think about her a lot. I think, what, what the hell? You know, what, what she what does next? next. Yes. I think she survives. Yes, I think so. And I don't think she tries to, to top herself again. And she never goes back. She never goes back to Bill. No, no. I don't think so. Or Freddie. No. Um, I don't know. I, appallingly, I've never yeah. thought about it. Which has, shows has what second-rate actress no, I am. No, I don't know. Yes, I've mm. thought about it deeply. Yeah. She goes to Slade and she becomes... Um, <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, I'll give my, my, I've worked through my theories one day. 